EM Guidewire, hard-hitting emergency medicine from Carolina's Medical Center. Hello everyone, it's great to be with you here today. We're coming to you from the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studio at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is the end of June, meaning that the new academic calendar is getting ready to start. You know what? Because it's at this pivotal moment, I do think it's important for us to focus on a really important topic, and that is pediatric pain management. This podcast episode is a co-production between EM Guidewire and the Emergency Medical Services for Children Innovation and Improvement Center, whose mission is to minimize morbidity and mortality of acutely ill and injured children across the emergency continuum. Welcome back to EM Guidewire, your direct line to guidance on important EM topics, and welcome to the beginning of a new academic year. Noise. July's upon us. I love July. The rejuvenating energy and enthusiasm is palpable in the emergency department with new interns and all the residents taking on increased responsibilities and refining not only their skills, but also many times their perspectives. And with that in mind, I think it'd be good to discuss a very important topic, one that we all need to be savvy with, the approach to pain management in the ED. Ah, that brings us to today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to us by DIRT. Yes, DIRT, my little league coach's solution to all painful ailments. Uh, you're all right. Just rub some dirt on it. Dirt. What an incredible sponsor. It is amazing that your Little League coach didn't spark a whole botulism endemic. Maybe my coach was just ahead of his time, trying to help us treat facial wrinkles early in my life. Yeah, well, I don't think rubbing dirt in the wound is the best way for our team to help mitigate pain in our emergency department, especially the PZD. Although, I do appreciate their sponsorship. So let's now turn our attention to strategies that we can all use to actually improve the management of pain and anxiety in our pediatric patients. Great topic. I know we all immediately think about pain medicine when we're asked about managing pain, but I do think that there are some basic things, some basic concepts to consider before we even get to selecting medicines. Ah, I see a problem and I fix a problem. Shouldn't I just select the pain med and just fix the pain? For many children, we will get to that indeed, In fact, I'm glad that you seem so eager to aggressively treat the pain of the child. Did you know, actually, when it's studied, we do a really terrible job globally for treating pain in children. One study, in fact, showed a large pediatric trauma center where children were cared for with obvious limb deformities. Only 10% of the time did those children get pain medicine in the first hour. And sadly, 59% received zero pain medicine. That's clearly subpar and not our goal. Children are not aliens. They feel pain just like adults. So let's not be cruel. Let's treat their pain. Great. Got it. Give lots of fentanyl and give it early. Well, perhaps. But I like to think that we should focus certainly on the early. Just imagine you're a child in the emergency department coming in with an illness or an injury. You're in a strange place. You're met by lots of strange people. I mean, I know I look strange. You, Dr. Allen, you don't look strange. You're clearly comforting. But... (laughs) I just imagine that a poor little child seeing my face in the emergency department when they're not feeling well is probably not the best way to comfort them right off the bat. And I can maybe cause some additional anxiety in them. And we know that anxiety and pain commingle and can accentuate each other. There are simple things that we need to be mindful of that will help us mitigate the anxiety and pain. Hmm. Mitigate anxiety and pain mitigate anxiety and pain. Map, map, M-A-P, right? I see what you did there. I bet you have a roadmap to this. You know, doctors love acronyms for 
like no reason at all. We just make acronyms up all the time. That we do. Now you're saying that by acting quickly, we can address pain and help prevent some worsening anxiety and uneasiness, which in turn can help reduce further perceived pain. So again, it sounds like lots of fentanyl and triage. Cool, we're doing it, starting early, tons of fentanyl. That was a quick lesson. I agree, I really love the enthusiasm, but you know, clearly not everyone needs fentanyl or ketamine. Cool, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't mention ketamine. All over the ketamine here. I do love ketamine. It's pretty amazing. I mean, honestly, if you can save 13 trapped children from a flooded cave with scuba gear and ketamine, we all know it's extremely useful. I mean, even the WHO lists it as an essential medicine for use around the world. So I love the fun fact. Yes, uh, we all love ketamine. And it is certainly uh, something we will continue to profess our undying affection for. But... We also know that there are situations that should not require a full sedation. I should not need to use ketamine for every child examination. Unfortunately, we can often exacerbate scenarios by being, let's be honest, too abrupt or just too careless. I mean, that's true. You're saying we shouldn't need ketamine to examine ears, but we've all had those kids that just like hates us and you can't get anything done. What are we supposed to do then? Well... Again, I'm going to make an argument, a strong argument here for hopefully all of us having child life resources to help us. Now, while we do here at Carolinas and Levine Children's Hospital, I do feel that we're probably among the privileged and it's not clearly going to be the case for all providers. This is a fair point. I agree that not everyone has uh, the resources that we are afforded here. What is ideal is clearly not always what is real, but... I can tell you that there are some pitfalls that our child life specialists have taught me to avoid. Oh, I bet I know some of these. Let me see. Uh, Number one, don't rush in and push on the painful part. I think that's pretty easy. Uh, Number two, uh, don't forget that they are listening. Always. I mean, that's how kids learn bad words, right? They listen to us when we're not intending for them to. So we should avoid triggering words like you're going to get a shot or stitches. Number three, also don't offer choices that don't exist. Yes, that last one is especially good. All too often, we'll say, hey, are you ready for your sutures now? Yeah, no. And, well, that's not really an option because we're going to do the sutures now. And unfortunately, that will cause further distress because you will take away the child's power. And what we want to do is empower patients, right? So you can offer other options that are strategies that you're willing to abide by, right? Uh, Would you like to count the Band-Aid strings that we're going to put in? What song would you like to sing? These are options that are reasonable. Yeah, no, I mean, I love singing while I suture. Let it go. Oh, Elsa, me too. So we don't scare the kid up front. That's pretty easy. We try and gain a little bit of trust. We don't break that trust once we earn it. Clearly, child life will help us with a lot of this, but there are probably some other simple things that we can do to avoid these pitfalls. At some point, the kid has an obvious arm fracture. We're going to need to move beyond that, right? I want to give pain meds. Absolutely. I think your desire to do so is admirable and the desire to be quick about it is perfect. But I guess how is always the real question. Well, here I uh, kind of get in the hinting of your voice that you think I'm, I'm trying to be malicious and saying, let's just go ahead and put in that IV. We're going to do IV pain meds up front. Before you get grumpy with me, though, we can use some needless options like a J-tip for lidocaine delivery and help numb the skin. I mean, IV's not always bad. That's great. This also helps continue to engender trust between your patient and yourself as well as their family. As you have 
demonstrated that you are eager to address their discomfort, but also um, have ways to mitigate further distress. Yeah, and I guess another potential option would be using an intranasal route. Oh, the nose. It's such a wonderful thing. The nose does know, doesn't it? Intranasal fentanyl is just as efficacious as IV morphine. I don't know if you knew that, but it is. So I can give you medicine that is as efficacious as IV morphine without an IV. Now, I was listening to some of our archived audio and came across an episode of EM Guidewire uh, that had a conversation Lovely. between Dr. Sergey Montov and our very own Chris Griggs uh, regarding pain management in adults. And we all know Griggs pretty well and his desire to avoid unnecessary opioid usage. I would imagine that kind of voice of Chris in the back of my head would apply in children as well. Uh, correct. That episode, which certainly we encourage you all to go listen to, speaks to a very important concept, in fact, and that is multimodal approach and highlights the fact that one strategy isn't the right answer for everyone. Yeah, we are not in a one-size-fits-all kind of job. I do like the methods laid out by those two in that episode. In my mind, I like to start with the simple stuff when possible. Acetaminophen is incredible, right? If an oral route is possible, that's one of my first go-tos. There is an IV formulation. We don't have it available to us here, and I'm not sure I would use it a bunch, even if we did, given how effective a PO route with that medicine can be. Add some NSAIDs to that also, our old tried-and-true ibuprofen, and you are on to something there. I definitely agree. Remember that most kiddos historically have gotten little or nothing for pain. In fact, that study I mentioned before included simple analgesics like Tylenol and NSAIDs, and 59% of children got nothing. So starting with at least something is better than that. And we can always add to that. Whether this is going to be interventions like, oh, I don't know, splinting the broken extremity to help it uh, not move around, or good old things like ice. Ice is fantastic, right? In fact, there are simple IV starting uh, tools that actually apply ice or cooling spray to help mitigate that discomfort as well. So topical anesthetics are also very great to use and keep in your multimodal approach. Also, back to your intranasal meds, making sure you aggressively approach pain control early is super important. Yeah, so Sean, you've now touched on intranasal meds twice. What can we give and how do we do that? Uh, this is also some basic strategies that are many times overlooked, but will help you. So first and foremost, step one, Get rid of the snot. It's really not helpful to spray analgesics on snot. Snot doesn't really care about pain. So clear the nose, either through simple suctioning or have, if the child's old enough to actually blow their nose, ask them to do so. That'll be helpful. Yeah, roger that. Get rid of the snot. It's not that hard to do. After that, I'm probably going to reach for my atomizer and start blasting meds. Yes, but no. Uh, you do need to make sure that what you're giving isn't too large of a volume. After about a cc of fluid atomized into each nair, you're going to mostly have fluid running out. So you really need to keep it to smaller volumes than that. And that way you will get the full bang for your buck. Yeah, I know this can be tough for some of our meds, but I guess you can either get more significant concentrations of those meds or just divide the volume between the nares in an effort to keep things below a cc each nair. Once the fluid has been blown in, though, my guess is we need to make sure it isn't blown out. Bingo. No nose blowing after that. So get all their nose blowing done first, and then hopefully a little bit of time will help allow that concentrated dose of the low molecular weight lipophilic medicine to 
rapidly absorbed through that capillary bed in the nostrils so that we will see some efficacy there. Remember that nose is essentially a highway directly to their venous system. We can use that to our benefit. So get the meds into place and let the old nasal vascular supply do the rest. Nice. Now, you you said this a second ago, but what medications fit this low molecular weight lipophilic description other than fentanyl, which I know we give intranasally? Yes, fentanyl is a great example, but remember that midazolam we use all the time uh, for a variety of other reasons, so that's an option. Dexmatomidine is also on our list, and, well, let's not forget about ketamine. It also fits this description. So dosings obviously vary based on uh, which medicine we're using and are different than our IV route. So certainly I would recommend using your appropriate weight-based dosing charts uh, for your children and keep in mind that the dosing will be a little different when using the nostrils. Yeah, I mean, a dosing chart is great. I think we can probably throw one together and put it in the show notes for everyone to use. I keep one of these on my phone just in case I need to dose a kiddo on the fly. So Certainly a tool that I think we should all uh, have tucked into our our trusty electronic tool belts. All right, so we've used our standard meds. We've added some topical analgesics or or anesthetics like lead or amla creams as we could. Maybe even employed some of our nose candies. (laughs) What's up next? I think uh, this is a great place to say that IV meds are still important and have a role here. Uh, You've already pointed out it's important for us to appreciate the children's pain and act aggressively. We've taken a couple steps in front to mitigate that already, but at some point there are going to be children that have obvious discomfort that is going to require more medicines. So starting the process of controlling the pain in these kids is going to be important just as we with our adults reassess and then have an IV as a potential way to re-administer medicines, I think is a fantastic option. Got it. We're going to use the medications that we are very comfortable with and we commonly use, whether they're adult or pediatrics. We have them at our side. Now we're going to use them. I bet, though, that there are probably some special tools that you have hidden way down in your peds toolbox of yours that we could use in our standard practice uh, isn't working right? Maybe our scenario doesn't fit the, the regular picture we're used to, or we've, we've run out of options. Come on, man. Don't hold out on me here. All right. Well, here's a, a simple trick that was taught to me by my dentist. Floss daily? Oh, man. I forgot about that one. Um, yeah, I don't know that that helps mitigate pain or anxiety. And in fact, just flossing makes me nauseous and yeah. nervous right now. But no, nitrous oxide Okay. Nice. In fact, nitrous is a fantastic option for many of our procedures that we do in the emergency department for children that have need for analgesia, for anxiolysis, even for greater anesthesia. Nitrous is able to provide all three of those things. It also fits many of the characteristics that we love about some medicines in the emergency department, and that is it starts fast and goes away quickly. So I can turn it on. I can see effect. And then when I'm done with it, I turn it off and there's no lasting sedation that I need to wait for the child to wake up from. Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic idea. I know there are different uh, ways to administer it, different machines. We've gone through a couple of iterations here at uh, Carolinas, but it's certainly a great tool. And it's one that I think that we could probably reach for a lot more. And so I love that addition there. What else uh, beyond that? You know, one thing that sometimes we forget from our adult care strategies that is actually very beneficial is regional anesthesia. You know, facial lacerations in adults, I have no problem thinking about doing an infraorbital or a superorbital regional block. For whatever reason, when I'm dealing with a child, 
there is a block in my brain about using that block. We need to get over that because it's a great way to, again, help provide the necessary analgesia and anesthesia that yeah. we need. Block the block by doing blocks is what I is what I always say. I mean, you've heard me say it probably a thousand times. Block the block by doing blocks. There's a thousand and two. Um, I, I think, you know, in addition to regional anesthesia, there's always a, the the tried and true hematoma blocks in our fracture patients. I agree. I think that's a great, uh, a great thing to kind of keep locked in there. Make sure you're doing it in association with your ortho colleagues if uh, for some reason you have orthopedics at bedside and they want to get a different exam. But man, I love uh, blocking it down. Anything else? You know, now we think about also how to combine all of these strategies. As we were talking about the multimodal approach, there's no reason that you have to only use one strategy. Yeah. You can add them in layers. You can add them in series. And this is a great way to continue to engender your trust uh, that you've already established uh, with your patient and their family up front by continuing to take their discomfort and potential anxiety seriously. And you can do so by applying and employing multiple strategies. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think the next step and one that often we, we skip the pain control for and would be its own entire deep dive is, is the world of moderate and deep sedation for these uh, either laceration repairs, forearm fractures, or any other painful presentations. We've, we've always got that in our back pocket. W one thing that you know I, I hope that anyone and everyone out there remembers is that the sedation is part of the end game, but not the path to that. I've seen it many times where we're like, oh, we're going to sedate this kid in like three hours, and they end up not getting pain medicine in, in the interim. And so I think using this pain control strategy on the road to the maybe more moderate or deep sedation pathways is important to keep there. So Man, I like this menu of options that's kind of been made available to us. I mean, you never know, again, if that teen that presents with that both born forearm fracture is just going to need a little bit of pain meds and hematoma block for setting of it. Or maybe they need the full court press with pain meds before and then that moderate sedation. And knowing what is in your toolbox can really help us provide the best for our patients. I couldn't agree more. And, and your point about the strategy of continuing to monitor and address their discomfort while awaiting their sedation, you're waiting for their x-rays, they've got to go get films, they're going to continue to have pain. It's not like they're only having pain when they're in front of you. So taking steps to be aggressive with treating their discomfort up front. It doesn't always need narcotics, as we said before, but taking some aggressive steps to help mitigate their anxiety as well as their pain will help afford you the ability to have more successful sedations if you need to do that. And also, in the end, much more pleasant interactions with both your patients and their families and then in the end, you'll leave feeling like you did a really good job. And that, I think, is in the end part of the reason that we're all in this uh, business is to make people feel better. And when I'm able to do that successfully, I just go home and, and have a big smile on my face. Yeah, I got it. So I'm going to turn on some calming tunes, maybe pull out that tablet that Child Life uh, likes to use, slap on some LMX or Amla and whip out the atomizer. All of these things I'm going to employ in my next pediatric patient that presents an acute pain. Man, thanks for the quick review. I know there is so much more that we could cover regarding each of these medications or interventions, but I kind of like the overview, and it'll definitely help me in creating my path forward to using a true multimodal approach in my next patient. Love it. Welcome to July. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, once again, coming to you from the Jaylee Garvey Innovation Studios here in Charlotte, North Carolina, this is EM Guidewire. Go be awesome. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go, be awesome today. CMC out.
To learn more about the Emergency Medical Services for Children Innovation and Improvement Center, visit emscimprovement.center or you can email km at emscimprovement.center. Follow on Twitter at emscimprovement. Try again. Use the common meds we have that we commonly use commonly. That sounded awful. That's not what I want to say.